Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast. My name is Angela Foster. I'm a former corporate lawyer turned health and performance coach. And each week, I bring you a new insight, biohack or habit to help you unlock optimal health, longevity and higher performance. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now let's dive in. If you are sympathetically activated or or in dorsal shutdown, you are going to execute a certain way of thinking, feeling, talking, behaviors. You're going to do things differently. Hi friends, if you are somebody who feels like they want to have more energy and you're not kind of consistent with that energy, you feel busy all the time, a little bit overwhelmed and you kind of in your head, you have this idea that you do breath work and meditation and exercise and all the things that you know you should be doing more often than you're actually doing in reality, you're probably not putting yourself first enough. And this is important because having enough recovery is what helps us build what's known as adaptive reserve. It helps us to become more resilient, it improves performance and our output, and also just makes life all round more enjoyable and gives us higher energy. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking all about the nervous system and the vagus nerve and how you can really gain back control. My guest is actually a second time guest on the show, Eliza Kingsford, who is a licensed psychotherapist and nervous system practitioner who helps clients identify and regulate their nervous system so they can get out of their own way, remove obstacles and overcome self-sabotage. Eliza's work has been featured all over the place on Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, NBC Health, Mind Body Green, and more. She's also the author of Brain Powered Weight Loss. Last time she came on the show, her episode was really popular, and I'm excited to welcome her back to talk all about the nervous system and how you can really build up that adaptive reserve and gain more energy. So without further delay, let me introduce you now to the lovely Eliza Kingsford. It is so good to have you back on the show, Eliza. I'm sitting down with Eliza Kingsford today. Uh, Many of my long-term listeners will remember Eliza from, I think, 2021. Yeah. I can't believe it's been that long. I know. I can't believe it's gone that long. I think we were still, we were still kind of in semi-lockdowns with COVID when we last spoke. Yeah. Um, Strange times. Yeah. We were just chatting offline. It's funny how we follow each other's content. So we still feel connected. Uh, and I think uh, just as soon as we got on, we picked up where we left off, yeah. which is so nice. Um, so nice. It's lovely to have you back. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really, yeah, I'm glad to be back with you. This is fun. It's really fun. So since we last spoke, you have been getting deep into the nervous system and regulation and all kinds of things that we were just talking about offline, which are really interesting for me. Um do you want to first, just for those new listeners, we have new listeners all the time, introduce yourself and, and what you do. And then I think we can dive into change and personal growth. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to. Um, yeah. So it's interesting, you know, my, my path over the years has uh, had many twists and turns, but uh, ultimately I'm a, a trained uh, psychotherapist by trade in clinical psychology and really got interested in the fields of body image, you know, uh, weight management. Some people call it food addiction, whatever you want to call it, people struggling with their, with their weight. Um, I started initially in what we call traditional eating disorders and with anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa, but, but quickly came, was quickly drawn to people struggling with their weight. You know, they were struggling to lose weight or struggling to feel good in their body or, you know, disordered eating and, or struggling with body image, all of those things and spent and have spent most of my career doing work um, in that area. And what was so interesting is that the things that led me to a deeper dive into my education and the, the places that I've, you know, gotten more training, more extensive training around behavior tra- behavior change and, and cognitive neuroscience and, um, you know, most recently the nervous system is that I wanted change. I wanted people to work with me or work with the clinicians I was training and, and actually change transformation, true change where they would learn and, and change and be able to, um, be able to transform somewhat permanently. I hate to say the word permanently, but but feel like there was lasting transformation rather than sort of this, I change a little, I go back. I change a little, I go back. And so it it got me really, really interested in what, what helps people change, what gets in the way of people actually changing. Because 
many people want to change. I want to do it differently. I want to be different. I want something to be different, but I just, I don't know how to get out of my own way. And that's what led me to all of this different deep science. How does that work? Why don't people change? Um, anyway, so I have spent most of my career trying to answer that question. What really drives change? How do people do that? Um, what gets in our way? Um, and as you said, most recently, I spent the last couple of years really, really diving deep into the nervous system. And I, um, throughout the years of building these steps of change that I believe really strongly in and the research and the science really supports this, this kind of last piece and whoever knows if it's the last piece, but for me, this last piece of the puzzle is this nervous system work and, and really the way that our physiology informs everything we think, do say and feel, and we can't ignore it. And if we do ignore it, then it creates a huge roadblock or a huge barrier to us being able to change. So that's a quick and dirty bringing, bringing us up to speed. Yeah. Amazing. Detoxification is so important now more than ever with the number of toxins we are exposed to daily in our food, water, personal care products and environment. No matter how careful we are, it's impossible to totally get away from the chemicals. And we also have to think about detoxifying the toxins we produce through cellular respiration and clearing excess hormones like estrogen. Our skin is one of the key ways we detoxify, and that's why I love to include sauna as part of my weekly routine. But going to a facility with a sauna can be time-consuming, and investing in one yourself has been expensive in the past. That's why I love Bond Charge's sauna blanket. It has so many benefits, from raising your heart rate to that of physical exercise, so you burn calories whilst you relax. You can burn up to 600 calories in just one session. The sweating helps flush out heavy metals and other toxins, and the infrared light, which heats the body directly rather than the air around you, meaning you get the same benefits at a lower heat. Bond Charge's sauna blanket is easy to set up, taking less than a minute. It heats up rapidly and you can enjoy a session for 30 to 40 minutes whilst relaxing, reading, watching TV or even meditating. So you can truly stack your hacks. Bond Charge's sauna blanket is also low EMF compared to other brands on the market and it's the quickest on the market to heat up. So it's an easy thing to fit in. When I'm not working out in the morning, you'll find me meditating in my Bond Charge sauna blanket with their red light therapy mask on my face, boosting collagen while I relax. And Bond Charge are giving listeners of this podcast 20% off their sauna blankets, red light therapy devices and other wellness products. Bond Charge ship worldwide in rapid time with free shipping on every sauna blanket and 12 months warranty. Simply go to bondcharge.com forward slash Angela and enter code Angela20 at checkout. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E dot com forward slash A-N-G-E-L-A and use code Angela20 to save yourself 20%. When we look at change and people, they know that they want to create something different, right? It could be a new business venture. It could be, as you say, that they want to lose the excess weight finally and actually keep it off for, for a change. Often what I've found is some there's a bank of people who they know what they want and they go after it and then they increase that vision and it gets bigger and bigger and they just seem to make so much progress and we can all see that with people who are very successful in whatever format that is and it's obviously displayed a lot on social media and I realize that paints a very pretty picture and image and maybe that's not the full story we don't always see the struggle but then there's a lot of people who just moderate themselves so when you ask them about their goal they'll tell you what it is and then they'll immediately qualify it. And you see that you've probably seen it so many times with weight and in particular women of, you know, well, when I got married, I was this weight, or I look like this, but you right. know, I want to be like that, but now I've had three kids. I'll be happy with this. What makes yeah. us as adults sometimes do that, that whole moderation? When, why, why do we lose that thing as a kid? You know, I remember dreaming in the car and thinking how I wanted my life to go and things. And obviously nowadays kids don't daydream as much, right? Because they have devices and things and they're distracted, yeah. uh, which yeah. is a shame. That's a whole separate thing. Yes. Whole different <laughs> whole conversation. Different but, yes. <laughs> but what stops us as adults in so often, yeah. and it's not true for everyone, but often adults will limit themselves and they don't really allow themselves to dream. And they, they've moderated before they've even kind of embarked on the journey. What do you think is going on there? Oh my gosh. Yeah. A number of different things, I suspect. Um, one of them is that 
I don't think we're taught to dream that way beyond childhood. Like I, I really think that our society and the system and the culture that we're that we're raised in does not teach us to dream like that outside of that childhood age. And I couldn't exactly pinpoint when and where that stops. But but as children, you know, even though they do it less, we encourage them to do that. What do you want to be? And what do you want to do? And the child says, well, I'm going to be an astronaut. And we say, that's amazing. Of course you are. And, and it's all fun and games, right? Then at some point we start to put in what we think of as like these sort of safety barriers, right? It's it's kind of like, okay, well, that's fun to want to be an astronaut, but how are you going to pay the bills, right? Or, you know, that's nice that you want to be an artist, but will that really make money? And that that dialogue, that narrative starts to shift, which is actually um more powerful than we know from a from a cognitive perspective, from a um from a you know, sort of reticular activating system and, and nervous system perspective, that narrative shifting starts to drive our system in a feedback loop that says, oh, this thing that I'm dreaming about, I'm learning through what people are saying, how they're reacting, what they're not saying, what they're telling me. Instead, my system, my nervous system is learning that it's not, quote, safe. I'm going to use the word safe, but I can talk about what that actually means. It's not safe to do that. Right. So when I now say to my dad, you know, maybe I'm 12, 13, 14, who knows when it actually starts to shift. It's probably a slow progression. But when I now say to my dad, I'm going to be an astronaut. And the response is, yeah, that's great. But how are you going to make money? That starts to teach my system a belief that astronauts don't make money or astronauts aren't going to be able to pay the bills. So I start to unconsciously move away from that dreaming and move towards what I've been taught is important, which is you have to make money, you have to pay the bills, you have to, you know, and I'm overgeneralizing here, but that does teach our system what is possible or not. So then you fast forward that to someone, like you said, who is now whatever, in their thirties, forties, they're looking to be an entrepreneur. They want to, you know, lose lose the weight from their wedding or whatever it is and you ask them what is it that you want but they've been trained for decades to go it's not about what i want it's about what's real what's reality what's safe what's realistic what can i accomplish what are my skills right the 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 system and the brain is trained not to think in terms of what is possible it's trained to think in terms of what's right in front of me and what is realistic. And so I do this even with, with all of my programs and clients, we do this sort of who I am becoming exercise to, to get them to think that way. Well, what is it that you want? You know what you don't want. You don't want to think and feel like this, but what is it that you want? And it's a very difficult exercise for all of them because they haven't been trained to think like that. They've been trained to think, well, I want this, but like you said, I want this, but or I'd have this, but that's the way that they're trained. And so it takes a retraining of the brain and the system to think like that. And it doesn't come naturally to most people. Mm. And when they start to then think, because I do this as well with my clients, and I'm curious as to what you find here. So they start to think actually, okay, fine. I, what do I really want? What does that look like? Uh, and it starts to feel quite exciting. Then the real the real journey begins right because it's almost like learning to drive you don't really learn how to drive until you're out on the road because then you meet challenges and I always think you you're never going to stick with it unless you have a big why right and you really want it because there are going to be challenges along the way but that's when I think people get in their own way because they can't maintain that level of kind of I suppose optimism to a degree that they're going to get there and that the universe has is co-collaborating right with those collaborating with them on their plan and will help yeah. them so then yeah. they start to have these thoughts and you we don't even know who those thoughts came from right they could be conditioning from parents from their peer group from teachers it could be from anywhere yeah but they also are a little bit and, and I'm interested what you have to say around safety there because yeah. If there's money in the equation for survival, I think it becomes a lot more difficult. Whereas when people get to that point of, okay, I have enough now. I, I have enough to live on comfortably. Now I can start to create my dreams. But that's quite difficult because they're not always starting from that playing field, if you see what I mean. Yeah. 
I do. And, and what you just described is exactly what led me to the nervous system education and, and spending a couple of years really, really training and, and um, getting deeper education on the nervous system because of what you just said, which is, okay, if somebody can get, you know, connected to their why and be able to describe it and be able to, you know, feel it. Okay, great. That's what we teach people to do. Right. But still people get stuck in that feedback loop and go back to old behaviors. And, you know, the question was why, why do we do that? Right. We know better. Why do we do that? Well, turns out if we skip the part of the process that is the nervous system dysregulation is the safety, which I'll talk about in a second, then we end up creating an even more fractured experience. So for instance, let's say you have somebody get connected to their why, then they get excited and they have some optimism, but they can't maintain that. They can't um, seem to get rid of the old habits or patterns or whatever it is to be able to reach that. Now that they've been vulnerable and and said, okay, this is what I want, but they can't seem to get out of their own way can sometimes make it even worse, right? Because now they are, um, the discrepancy between the two is so obvious and they can, they've seen what they want. They've said what they want. They've stated what they want, but they can't seem to get there. So that can make it sometimes for some people even worse. Because you're in the gap, right? Because you're in the gap. You're in the gap. You're in the gap. And now the gap before you didn't even let yourself think about the gap, right? But now yeah. you're thinking about the gap. The gap's huge. You need to get yourself out of it. And the gap is huge, right? So here's the thing is that um, what I know to be true so deeply is that our system, and I and I use the term system on purpose because it really is a physiology. It's not a conscious decision. It's the physiology. If our system does not feel safety, and by safety, I mean that it's not in the technical term is not in this ventral vagal state. It's not in a ventral vagal nervous system state of safety. The ventral vagal nervous system state is responsible when, for when we feel safe, connected, able to learn, able to grow, able to dream. Um, and when I say able to, I really mean that there are functions in the brain and body that are sort of turned up or switched on it doesn't exactly work like that but you know make it understandable turned up or switched on there's 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 functions in the brain and body that are turned up and switched on when we are in this ventral vagal connective state that is our state of safety and to be able to dream and hope and and you know think about what we want and then use optimism and 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 move point our thoughts in that direction requires us to be in that safety state. The other two states that we have are states of protection. They're they're mobilization and shutdown. So the state that is most commonly known as fight or flight is the sympathetic state, right? And the sympathetic state is activated anytime our system physiology scans the environment and picks up an unconscious cue of danger, whether that's danger as in there's actually an acute danger and I need to get out of the way of a bus or danger as in I just received an email from somebody and it triggered me into, you know, frustration, panic, anger, irritation, or even mild Demonstration, right? Like the, the body can send cues that says, oh, I don't like that email and can trigger us into a different physiological state. So we've got the sympathetic state, which is we know as mobilization or activation, it's going to, it's going to mobilize energy in our body to be able to deal with the cue, right? To deal with the trigger. The other state is shutdown. So if we mobilize all of this energy to deal with the trigger, that doesn't work if it's ineffective, right? If it if it doesn't take away the danger, then our body says, okay, I've mobilized all the energy. That didn't work. I got to go into shutdown now. And shutdown is numb, dissociation, immobilization, shutting off. I call it kind of like the Charlie Brown effect, you know, where sort of Charlie Brown is hearing his teacher, wah, 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 wah. You hear the voice, but you don't really know what they're saying. 
you've shut off, you've gone somewhere else in your mind. That's a shutdown state, right? And that's technically called dorsal vagal. So we have ventral vagal is connected. Sympathetic in the middle is mobilizing energy. And dorsal vagal is on the other side, shut down and disconnected. Those are the three states of our nervous system. And only one of those states allows us to dream, be connected, connect to that vision, do the things that would drive us to that vision, right? Because if we're not in that safe and connected state, our body, our physiology shuts off access to all of the executive functioning skills necessary to be in that vision. And it mobilizes access to the things that would protect us. Energy we need to fight or flight, shutdown we need to protect ourselves from danger. It's mobilizing different resources in the body. So if we don't understand or become aware of when we get dysregulated into those two protective states, then we end up getting really frustrated and wondering why we can't consistently do the things that we want to do or think we need to do to be successful. That that co- cover it in a nutshell? It does, but it's kind of boring because when you get into that state, actually it's harder to come back from because now you're almost like that kid that's tried and it's like, it never works for me. It's that response, isn't it? Of like, well, I'm just going to give up because you know what? This isn't never going to happen for me. It's for other people. That's that you've reached that point, presumably. Yes. And so this is the beauty of doing nervous system work is that while you would be correct in, in saying that that's the pull is to, is to, or that's the um, common response is to say, well, that see, it happens for other people, not for me. The goal in nervous system work is about building what's called capacity and flexibility. So first the awareness of which state we're in then the flexibility to be able to move between the states. So knowing that the physiology is flexible, malleable, and fluid. So sure, if I am triggered into a shutdown state that ultimately makes me want to go, see, this is you know only available for everyone else. It's not available for me. I'm kind of in my shutdown state, right? The awareness, ah, I am in a physiological state here and I have the ability and flexibility to move myself out of it, right? So we teach then the skills and how do we get ourselves out of a state of shutdown like that? And it's absolutely possible for everybody to be flexible and move through those states. The capacity piece is that the more we become aware of our nervous system, what triggers us into activation or shutdown, when we're there, the more we become aware of it, the more we can now build what we call capacity in our nervous system so that we have the ability to meet the challenges of our life, the demands and the challenges and the circumstances of our lives with more capacity so that we don't get dysregulated so easily. So what's happening for people is that as they stay in these activated and shut down states, they are what I call it's sort of like they're draining their bank account, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're taking withdrawals from their nervous system bank every single day with every decision, with every frustration, with every trigger, with every cue, they're draining their bank account and without putting deposits into their bank account, which is what we can do with nervous system regulation without putting deposits in their bank account. They just keep pulling from their, they keep withdrawing, Right. And if you put deposits in, well, now you have a more balanced bank account. So you have the ability to deal with life circumstances in a totally different way. You know how, you know, there's, there's people that you probably know them who seem to kind of let things roll off their back easier, right? Things happen and they don't get as bothered, right? They're not um, as activated, from a nervous system language, they're not as activated or they don't get shut down, right? Something bad happens and they kind of, okay, yeah, that's frustrating and I don't like it, but it's going to be okay. And other people will say, how do they get like that? It is a balance of nervous system regulation. That's what's happening is that those people have a larger capacity to deal with the circumstances of life as they come 
because their bank account is more balanced. They have more deposit. One of the many benefits of being part of my membership, the Female Biohacker Collective, is that you get to ask my special podcast guests your questions. And my members have the wonderful opportunity of asking Dr. Mindy Peltz their questions in relation to fasting, optimizing around the menstrual cycle, and perimenopause, and a whole lot more. If you'd like to be part of an amazing community of women and get your questions answered alongside monthly live masterclasses, biohacking toolkits, and live challenges with me and my team, then head over to www.femalebiohacker.com to learn more. That's www.femalebiohacker.com to learn more. So, I mean, that's really interesting. And I'd like to talk to you about how you build those deposits. I guess the, um, was it the dorsal sympathetic, parasympathetic system you were speaking Mm -hmm. of there, that would be when someone reaches burnout as well, right? Because if I look back on my own journey, just so we can kind of bring it into context, people practicing as a corporate lawyer, that was very sympathetically engaged. Yeah, just push on, push on. Even when you're not sleeping, then I had my kids and the first one was born by emergency c-section and then had all three by c-section within sort of four years at this point it's sympathetic 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 right in the end my body's just going to go shut down it has to to preserve life because now we've just totally depleted on every level and that for me was mental physical shutdown Um, and that is a perfect example what you just described because yeah because and the reason why it's so perfect is because i think it's a culture Many people are on the verge of what you're just describing and we cognitively overwrite it. And we say, I got this. I got this. I got this. I'm just so busy. You know, I can do this. This is, this is part of my job. This is what I'm supposed to do. And like, I'm just going to go, 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 go. I, I got the kids. I got the, I got the job. I got, I got it all. We cognitively override what's happening in the system. And the physiology is so much smarter than we are, right? The physiology in the background is saying, You've got your gas, you got your foot on the gas and the brake at the same time. And you can do that for a while. It's going to be fine. But at some point, if you keep your foot on the gas and the brake, something's going to wear out and break down. And so you keep taking deposits or you keep taking withdrawals out of your bank account, right? You got work. Your your child comes with an emergency C-section. That is absolutely sympathetic overdrive. You're taking withdrawals, withdrawals, withdrawals not very many deposits because you don't have time and capacity for that. Right. Mm. So eventually you're exactly right. The body says, all right, you're not paying attention, you know, not on purpose, right. You're not paying attention, but, um, the only option I have now, cause I'm out of resources, I've been breaking and gassing too long is shut down. Right. So it will shut down in your body. It will, I don't know if you had Physical symptoms. Actually, I think I do know yeah, a little did, bit. You have yeah, physical symptoms. Yeah, with pneumonia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the body yeah. will shut it, shut it down. Yeah, totally shut That's it down. I was neutropenic, so it just like takes your immune system. And obviously, I had the depression with it. But then there's some exactly. people, right, who they seem to, and that was just conditioning really for largely from that's the world of corporate law, right? Yeah. London. Yeah. But if you, and, and I think that conditioning spilt over into my personal life because I remember midwives and things like that saying to me, nap when the baby's asleep and I was like that typical type a personality you know yeah. I pull all nighters all the time I want, who needs to nap don't yeah. worry, I need to get stuff done I'm gonna go and puree yeah. some butternut squash you know it's like, <laughs> <laughs> for my Absolutely. for my elder one like and it's crazy yes. but you do it and then it shuts down there is a whole bank of people and this isn't just obviously we we talked about weight loss there there's there's multiple ways you could be successful in this but there are people who are very successful who seem to have this balance. So instead of going sympathetic, 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 full steam ahead, and then gas and pedal and brake pedal all at the same time because your body's trying to slow you down, there's this other format that people follow, and it feels like it requires a degree of yes, self-regulation and knowledge, but also discipline because it feels like you've got to learn to pull back before you're ready. And and we we both obviously know uh, Ben Greenfield. It feels like he does this really well because he talks a lot about, I go in the sauna, I do my breath work. I do. It feels like there's always deposits in as many as withdrawals. And actually someone like that is, is incredibly successful, but there's a misconception, right? In the corporate world, that actually that doesn't work. Absolutely. And there's a couple, you're, you're so right. And there's a couple things to say about that, um, that, that are, that are, 
grossly misunderstood in our culture. So, you know, you mentioned Ben Greenfield and I wouldn't, I wouldn't presume to, you know, know what's going on for him or why he does the things he does, but certainly um, what appears to be true is that you're right in the discipline that he prioritizes putting withdrawal or putting deposits in his bank, right? Mm. That, that moves to the top of his list. I take care of myself. I put deposits in my bank. He talks a lot about taking care of his family and, you know, the things that he does to take care of himself. Those move to the top of his list, which we're not taught to do that, right? We're taught to, and especially as, as women, not to stereotype, but, you know, we're taught to give ourselves away and put everyone else first and make sure everyone else is taken care of. And the paradox of that is that when we put ourselves at the top of our list and learn that discipline and prioritize deposits in our bank, not only do we actually have more capacity to help others, it's like the you know oxygen mask on yourself first, but going back to the executive functioning skills, we actually are more productive. We have more creativity. We put out better work, right? So it's possible that Ben Greenfield, I'm speculating here, puts out better work because he has moved to the top of his priority list with all of the things he does to put deposits in his bank, right? So what we think is, oh, I'm so busy. If I have extra time, I will try and meditate or somebody told me I should do some breath work or maybe I'll get in the sauna in my extra time. It's it, it's entirely flipped, the people who you're talking about that are able to, it looks like they're able to kind of go, 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 but also um, take care of themselves, they have moved to the very top of their list. And and taking care of themselves and what is necessary for them to sort of make their engine run productively is priority number one. And everything else, work, people, family, comes second, which actually makes them better at mm. work family, whatever, Isn't you know, so we're capacities. not really taught to think you have more capacity. That's Isn't capacity. that interesting? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Which is obviously it's fascinating to watch. It is fascinating to watch. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting yeah. because it seems also to tie in with, um, flow states, right? So, um, mm -hmm. I have, uh, an upcoming interview with Stephen Kotler coming on the podcast. Yes. And when I dive into his work and flow states, he talks about the fact that to really be in flow in your work, You've got to replicate flow outside of work. So he's big, I believe, on skiing, and I haven't interviewed him yet. So, um, and and that's really interesting as well because that's kind of mirroring what we're saying here. So unless yeah. you build that capacity by having that time, and it's the opposite to what we've a been conditioned to in the corporate world, but also I think you made a very good point there as women, and it feels for women selfish because maybe your mother put herself last and that was just right. how it was. So right. she never went to that yoga class because right. she was running around after the kids. And then that just feeds in, right? It becomes intergenerational. And it, exactly. And, and it's, it's why I said, you know, that, the, that all of the things, truly all of the things we think, feel, say, and do originate first in our nervous system. The, so for instance, you know, being in a flow state requires, it requires a state of nervous system regulation, because if you are activated by the things that you're stressed out about, or the to-do list that you have to do, or, um, you know, the fight that you just had with your spouse, if you are activated in that sympathetic state, you don't have access to the flow that would allow you to be creative, whatever you're trying to create in the flow. And so if, you know, it, his idea of whatever it is that keeps him in that flow state out of when he's actually trying to get work done um, is part of making sure that he's not activated going into the flow state. And this is the thing is that, for instance, let's say you put an hour in your calendar to, you know, get something done for work, be in the flow state. That's good and great. Glad that you did that. But if you carry a dysregulated nervous system into that state, it's not going to be productive. Your system is going to drive you to do the things to try and regulate itself. So for some people, that's food. For some people, that's scrolling. For some people, that's checking email. For some people, that's, you know, um, these sort of shallow tasks of check these boxes and we never get into that flow state and we go, oh, I'm just not disciplined. No, you are dysregulated. 
And until you are regulated, you're not able to have access to those, uh, like I said, executive functioning part of your brain that gives you access to creativity and flow. So I think what I get so fascinated by and I'm, I'm so passionate about is that we need to number one, recognize and be aware of our nervous systems. And number two, give them the um, emphasis they deserve, which is they are driving our lives. If you are sympathetically activated or, or in dorsal shutdown, you are going to execute a certain way of thinking, feeling, talking, behaviors. You're going to do things differently when you're in those states. When you're in eventually safe, connected state, you're going to do things different. And if we don't start to recognize this and sort of live from that state, that's where we think that we don't have willpower, we don't have discipline, we don't have, you know, there's just something wrong with us. And we, you know, kind of spiral further and further down. I find that when, when people really learn the ins and outs of this, how to recognize their own and then work with it, um, it's like a sigh of relief. They're going, oh, there's nothing wrong with me personally, right? It's a tracking of the cues that my physiology is picking up on all day, every day. And no one is immune to this. We all have a nervous system and all of them are picking up on cues all day long differently, right? Like they're, you know, different cues based on how we were raised. That's a whole nother conversation, but um different cues, but all of us have them. So it's this thing that we share as humanity. We have a nervous system, but if we could all start recognizing it and addressing it from that safety state first, I mean, I, I believe that the, the sort of, this is the way that we change the world. This is the way we change how we communicate with one another, how we do lives, how we do business, how we do health. Everything sort of originates here in our nervous system first. So let's talk about, because it's fascinating, how do we recognize, first of all, and then we can talk about how to change it, where we are? Because sometimes people will feel like, yeah, it's just like I've had an amazing day. Even my kids will say this to me, like, I feel like it's going too well. Do you know what I mean? So, mm. like, and it's funny, isn't it? Because they've just been like conditioned that something then happens at school and it's yeah. like, oh no, it's because I thought that when it wasn't at all. Um, yeah. So when, how, how do we kind of assess and should we be kind of checking in with ourselves when we wake up? Like, wh- how do we find out where we are first? Because we can't change it until we yeah. know, right? We bring awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love walking people through, um, one of my mentors is, is Deb Dana and she created this sort of personal profile map. Um, and I call it sort of the flavors of our nervous system because everybody's flavors are completely different. Um, for instance, a colleague of mine uh, and I, that we work really closely together, her, the flavor of her ventral system, which is safety and connection is, you know, a, a, a party with lots of people and, and connecting and there's, you know, dancing and music and all that kind of stuff like that feels safely connected to her. That is ordering on sympathetic activation for me right? The party and the dancing and the music, too much stimulation, too many inputs, right? Like for my system, that feels like almost activation. My system connected state has to do with nature, calm, soft, quiet, peaceful, right? And to her, that might feel like, oh, geez, Mm. right? So this is, and that's where it gets so interesting is that walking people through their own states, so your own flavors, and it is unique to you. My husband's is not the same as mine. My daughter's is not the same as mine, right? So, well, ours are similar because we're in the same family, but you know, it's different from from person to person. So, you you want to map out the flavor of your own state. So when I say safe, connected, created, um, joy, all of those sort of words would describe the ventral vagal state of connection and safety. And you would want to say, all right, what are the descriptors of my ventral vagal state? You would want to take a moment and think, what makes me feel safe and connected? Who makes me feel safe and connected? What's the environment? What are the smells? What does it look like? What does it sound like? How do I know? What are the cues inside my body? Like, am I feeling 
Mm. a big sigh? Am I feeling warm? Right. You start to really describe, get very descriptive about what that state feels like. I have people write it down. We sort of map it out. Who's there? What's it look like? What does it smell like? Sounds, all that stuff. Then we move to the sympathetic state, which is fight or flight, mobilization, right? Activation, mobilization. So your body has just sensed there's a lion coming out of the grass and there's activation, there's mobilization, right? Where in your life do you sense that? Again, description. Who's there? What does it sound like? What's going on? What kind of environments? Where do you feel it? Work, gym, home, friends? You want to just start to pull in examples from your own life. So for instance, for me, and I have oftentimes with adults, I have them describe a place that would sort of um, be a be a representation of sympathetic. So for me, the place is New York City. For me, it's overstimulating. Too many sights, too many people, too many noises, too many blinking lights, too much going on all at once. It's too much in my system. Or it's to-do lists that never get checked off. Or it's feeling like you're always behind, right? Something like that. For somebody else, New York City could be amazing. Oh my gosh, I'm totally ventrally regulated in New York City. So it's not a right or wrong answer. It's just getting to know what's the state of your system, right? And bringing in as much description as possible to be able to describe that, have people write it down, you know, so that they can always go back and add to it. You know, now, now that they become aware of it, they go through their day and go, Oh, that got me into sympathetic, write that down. Right. The grocery store line. That's too long. The moment that you're stuck in traffic, right. You can feel your system getting activated, write all those things down. So you become aware of it. And then the third system is shut down, right? So it's that, um, not to go into whole science of nervous system here, but dorsal vagal is the other side of, of parasympathetic and it's shut down. It is the body saying, I didn't have the energy to fight. Now we're in danger. I'm going to shut it down, protect this last bit of energy that we have. It's shut down. So that's immobilization shut down. That's dorsal. And we want to get a sense of what does that feel like for you, right? Individually, is this when you just can't take it anymore and you numb out with food or TV or for some people, substances, right? Or sleep, Or sleep. I remember as a- Can't get out of bed, child, right? Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, or if someone had an argument with me or something, because I don't really enjoy that confrontation, yeah. I just go to sleep. Go and lay down. You just go to sleep. sleep. Yeah, just go to sleep. So that's a perfect example. Yeah. Yes. And that's your body saying, I don't have the capacity to have this conversation for whatever reason. I'm going to protect myself and go to sleep. That is an example of dorsal shutdown. Yeah. And so now we start to bring awareness to it. And we start to go like, you're, you're connecting these dots right now going, oh, I did that when that happened. And I went to sleep as a child. Now you think about what do I do as an adult, right? Do I, you know, if my husband and I get in an argument, how do I react, right? Do I leave the room? Do I explode? Do I shut down? You know, whatever. There's no right or wrong to this. And the the point in this exercise is not to judge ourselves for our reactions. It's to just become aware of them. Oh, this is an indicator that I've reached my limit here. And my body is responding by doing this. How interesting that first step is just building awareness of the states of our system. I was actually training a company on this, um, a couple of weeks ago. And the, um, one of the, um, one of the employees said, oh my gosh, that's what happens to me on Voxer. When I get a Voxer message, I'm noticing my heart is racing and, and I, you know, I'm starting to get activated And the story around that was like, I have to respond. And if I don't respond, then they're going to think I'm not working. Right. So he's activated in his system when he receives a Voxer. And it's just, it's interesting to note, right? We don't need to make, um, we don't need to make meaning of it. We just note it so that now we can build capacity in the system and do it differently, right? Once we're aware of what happens to us. And can I ask a distinction between, um, 
the sympathetic state and the part of the vagus nerve, the first one that you said that's activated, what did you call it? Where you're in that creative space, which is like ventral, yep, ventral, ventral vagus. So when you are, because uh, I just want to understand the nuance here, because it sounds like the sympathetic that you're describing there is a very definite fight or flight. There's some form of threat. And then yeah. we have being in flow and creativity. What about when um, someone is kind of like, I guess a bit like me as a lawyer, they're sort of, they're in a doing mode, but it's not necessarily that creative. Yeah. And they're just yeah. kind of gunning for it and going for it. Where, where are they sitting on the, on the spectrum here? You're so good. You're so, you're so good. Um, yes. So that's what we would call a blended state. So we oh. can get blended into ventral sympathetic. Um, for instance, anytime I on a podcast, I'm in a blended state because I'm excited and I need the energy to be able to bring to the table, you know, a full conversation and to be engaged with you so that there is some sympathetic energy in there, but I am safely grounded in ventral. And that is an incredible distinction because, um, it's somewhat nuanced, but there's a difference between I'm safely grounded in ventral. I'm excited to see you. We haven't seen each, you know, like I, I feel I'm safely connected to myself, but I also have some of that sympathetic energy moving through me to give me what I need to get through that part of the day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Then there is the, we just, we track it to make sure that it doesn't, we don't get, what do we call What we call flooded flooded into sympathetic, which means I'm no longer safely grounded in ventral. I've been flooded into sympathetic and now I'm really just in fight or flight mode. Right. Um, so yes, we can absolutely be in and that. You could trip state. into dorsal, couldn't you? Like if it was a different environment mm-hmm. for whatever reason, right. Maybe I'm a different yep. person, you're a different person and we're in an right. environment where actually it's quite scary for you to come onto this yes. interview. You could be so activated that that's when someone says like in an exam situation, my mind went blank or they got up on stage absolutely. and they can't speak. Then that's the, the shutdown. Yes. Because there's yeah. too much so synthetic. You've, you've got it, right? So the other state is, and people, this happens to people all the time. So if I had, you know, some deep fear of public speaking or whatever, I could have come here and we that's the other blended state, which is sympathetic dorsal. So that's the deer in headlights. That's what people know as freeze. You have a lot of energy in your system. The deer's in the headlights. Oh my gosh, I'm about to get hit by, but I'm frozen. I sh- it shuts down, I completely shut down. And so there's that immobilization at the same time that we have such high energy. So that's that other blended state is dorsal and sympathetic. And that's the free state is the lot of energy, but I'm frozen. A lot of energy, but I'm immobilized, right? So I go on stage. Oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. Nothing comes out, right? Shut down. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting because I want to talk to you about the deposits because actually it's been a, an example today. So my son is doing his GCSEs, which is the end of high school here in the UK. Yeah. And yeah. he's doing it. So he had it's big. So he had a yeah. big exam this morning. He did it. And afterwards, it was that kind of slight rush at the end of this paper. Uh, but he actually did it very well. He's quite a perfectionist, I think. And so we had a conversation afterwards. And then at first, the activation level is, oh my God, I have so much revision to do. I just need a break because there's been so much activation, right? I need a yep. break. I can't think about doing it. How can I do it? So anyway, we go out for a walk, like literally just before I speak yes. to you. And yes. he likes to walk quite fast. We go for a walk. And then I said, I'm leaving him because I'm coming back to interview Eliza. And then just as I'm coming back, he calls me. He goes, I don't know what you think, but I think I can do that extra work. I think I can. And he's just okay. paid deposits, right? Because we yeah. chatted. He had a nice walk in nature, yeah. like... Yeah. And so now he's ready to take on more, which the easy thing to do, which I'm guessing is kind of this wrong condition we've had would have been to, oh my God, I've got limited time. I need to get straight back into that revision, but the brain's not really even able to take it. So he is that working example now of greater efficiency later because he put a deposit in. I love that you, I'm like dying over here that you brought up, that brought up this example because that's exact, that's exactly it. It's a perfect example of how this works. We're conditioned to, I'm studying, I'm studying, I'm studying revision, right? You call it revision. Um, yeah. So it's this revision, 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 and I'm deep into it and just go, just power through it. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. From a physiology standpoint, activation, 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 activate at some point, if he's feeling flooded and overwhelmed by the amount of the information that flooding and activation is going to take over his capacity to be able to learn 
right? Mm-hmm. So he's at that point, he's fighting himself. Perfect. You went for a walk. That is one of the truly regulating nervous system things we can do in sympathetic is that we go for a walk. We still have energy in the system. It's regulating his system. It's bringing his safety back online, right? So you're going for a walk. So there's the nature aspect, there's outside. You're moving the body. You're going for a walk, giving the brain a rest, right? He's regulating his system. And then he calls you and says, I think I can do this again. His executive functioning switched right back online. I'm safely connected again. And I know that I still need the energy to study, right? So now he's in this blended state. I'm safely connected. I still have the energy to study. And off he goes. The the beauty of how we can use this work is that there might've been a previous version of him that is saying, why can't I study? Why can't I? I just have to focus. Why can't I pay attention? I have, he's fighting with his system when he's doing that, right? When we teach people how to do this work, now he says something like, Ah, I'm, I'm sure I'm in whatever he calls it. I have people name their states, right? So like, let's say he says, you know, I'm in activation, right? Notices it. I'm in activation. To be efficient, I need to get myself back into safety. So I'm going to leave. I'm going to go for a walk. You know, we, we go through like, what are people's regulating resources and skills? Pick from my roster of things that I can do, right? I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to clear, I'm going to, and maybe it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, who knows? He gets himself back into the state and he says, okay, I'm going to go back to my, back to my work. If he can carry that skill with him through life, the paradox of that is he may be thinking an outsider goes, you're going to waste your time and go for a walk. The opposite is true. No, I'm being efficient with my time because the moment I'm flooded, I'm not efficient anymore. I got to get back into a regulated state. And then now I can learn. And so the quicker he's able to recognize he's flooded, get himself back into regulation, go back into that regulated state, boom, he is more efficient with his time. He will be learning better. It will sink in in a different way. Um, And he's actually moving ahead when he does that. So this is what I love about it is that it it gets us out of this like... uh, this cognitive overdrive of there's something wrong with me or what's wrong with me or making stories about ourselves and has us pay attention to the physiology and work with the physiology and the cues it's giving us um, to create sort of more efficiency and effectiveness down the line. So interesting. Really fascinating. And how how would we know? Sorry, go on. Well, I was just going to say another example. You know, people are always asking me, how do I get myself to just not eat the food? Like, I just don't even want to be drawn towards the food that's not good for me. This is the way that we do that is that we recognize when the food is a byproduct of dysregulation. And so we focus more on the regulation in the system. The more regulated I can keep my system, the less the system is going to be looking for the food. So like when somebody says, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I just don't eat that. Like it doesn't occur to me. It's because Mm. they have a more regulated system. And so we stop fighting with the food and we start focusing on the system. So that was just another example. Yeah, really good. Really interesting. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating. So how do we, what are the things that we can do to build deposits and why, mm. and you mentioned one of them, a walk. And why is it some days you just wake up in that fog? Why? Why does that happen? Yeah. Like, do you know? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Why do we just wake up in the funk? without being super scientific, I would have to guess if you, if we were to really peel back the layers of the funk, likely there was something in the system before we went to sleep that didn't get sort of addressed. Meaning, did you sleep well? Was there a high level of stress or activation the day before? Are there things on your mind that are activating you or bringing you into shutdown, right? Like the, the sort of waking up in a funk is usually attached to something that hasn't sort of been processed all the way through. Now, whether that's, you know, nutritionally related or did you have alcohol the night before, which messed with your serotonin and dopamine levels, there's all kinds of things. But usually there's probably a physiological explanation for kind of waking up in a funk. You know, um, I've seen it. I've actually seen it on, uh, so 
I use a device. I don't know if it's available in the US, but certainly here in the UK, there's a device called First Beat. And it's really okay. interesting because it's an ECG device. And so it literally just straps here so people can't feel it. I use it with clients. And what you can see is so it will just measure their heart rate and their heart rate variability all day long. And it'll show the level of stress that they're under, the intensity of that stress and the duration. And what I see is if there is too much activation all day long, now they can't end sleep. They don't get any yeah. of the deep rest. So the heart rate yeah. just there's there's nervous system activation all night. Exactly. And I think it's exactly as you're saying. They just ha haven't almost rounded off and bookended that day and dealt with it and let it go. So there's not been that pause and that step change. And so now they're they're bringing that. There's sort of an overhang that goes into sleep, right. which I'm guessing could then filter into the next day. It may. Do. That's exactly. I love that. I love that. There's this combination of sort of the maybe more psychology or I don't know, cognitive part of it. And then there's these amazing tools that show you in the physiology exactly what's going on. I mean, it just, I love, I love that connection. Um, yeah. And I like to think of it like the deposits in a bank account. So your nervous system has a certain amount of money in the bank every day. And exactly what you're just talking about. Um, if you wake up in a funk, you might have, you're starting at a lower amount of money in your bank account. And every single thing that happens throughout the day, every decision we make, every, you know, every, every frustration, every activation, every little thing takes a withdrawal out of our bank every day in the nervous system. And too many people are running on empty in their nervous system bank account or even overdraft. I mean, so many people are running on overdraft. Mm. What we're talking about is, okay, we have to put deposits in your nervous system bank account every day. I mean, it's a non-negotiable. Every day, deposits need to go into the nervous system bank account. And these can be everything from big things to really, really tiny things, right? So anytime you think about gratitude, deposit in your bank, right? Because that switches on a certain chemical in your body. Little deposit in your bank, going to the gym, deposit in your bank, the type of food you eat, deposit in your bank, going for a walk, deposit in your bank, meditation, deposit in your bank, full plunge, deposit in your bank, sauna, deposit in your bank, right? So all kinds of ways. I mean, you probably have a list of a hundred of them, deposits in the bank, um, all kinds of ways to make sure that the, the nervous system balance of our bank account is increasing as much as it's withdrawing, right? And everybody's deposits are going to be different. Some people pet their animals, some people talk to one another, some people need alone time. My husband goes and takes pictures as a photographer, you know, like he goes and does, does things by himself. Um, I like to visit with friends or yoga, whatever. Deposits in some the bank. Some people sing not... like silly songs. That's what I do. Absolutely. My kids laugh at me like that. Yeah, that's what I'll end up doing. But that, that actually activates the vagus nerve, doesn't it? Like humming, singing, all of that. Yeah. I mean, there's, really look, there's great. a lot out there right now on what, you know, activates the vagus nerve. And I'm really honest with you, um, the amount of research that proves what stimulates the vagus nerve uh, is probably considerably less than what people claims does. But I always say- if you if it makes you feel better, then it's yeah, a deposit it, in your bank. Yes, so I don't really care if it's act if it if it's actually scientifically sound. If it makes you feel better, you've made a deposit. So do that. If you're humming and singing and it makes you smile, you have made a deposit in your bank. Um, breath work, you know. Even if you're, you know, I sometimes my daughter and I'll cuddle up on the couch and watch a movie, and it just we like it deposit in the bank right and I've seen that you know we were talking about monitoring it so if mm -hmm. I read I put the, that device onto when I've measured to see and if I uh I could have a really stressful day and then snuggle up with my daughter and read a yes. book or something it was yeah. full green it's amazing exactly. isn't it yeah exactly and, and that's that's what we talk about by building capacity is that when you're doing that the problem is that people see that as as I was talking about earlier, they see that as a, if I have time, I will do these things rather than those are the top of my priority list and everything else can wait because what you're saying that you can see on these devices 
it changes the physiology mm. and the more capacity, the more green, the more, the, the healthier you are in your heart rate variability, that is what gives you the capacity to deal with life circumstances. People who can kind of let things roll off their back and are, and are, um, you know, we saw this statistically or from a research perspective in COVID is that they did it. They and continue to do a lot of research on the people who weathered COVID fairly well, whatever you want to define that as, but people who seemed less bothered by it had a different lens, a different reaction, a different sort of, yeah, this is, you know, thing is, is, is bad. And, and I don't love it, but it's okay. I'll be okay. Right. And the people who had that, not only the people who had that sort of mentality and, and, and a lack of fear, not only did they fare better when they got COVID, but many of them didn't get it at all. Or if they had it, it was really mild. There was a direct correlation, if not causation of how their immune system functioned when they got sick based on the capacity in their nervous system to begin with. Right. And so it has very real ramifications in our lives. We get people with better nervous system capacity, get sick less, there's less illness, there's less um, uh, sort of mental health issues. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of things that as we build capacity in our system, it has such downstream effects for our sort of health and well-being. Yeah, that's so interesting. I know all the biohackers listening to this are going to be thinking, uh, sometimes my HRV is really low, or do I just have lower HRV? Does it really reflect my capacity? Or can you have a regulated nervous system? Because I know there are people, I, th- I think Dr. Peter Atia talks about the fact that his was always lower. And you can have people who almost artificially have a, it's not artificial, but they have a higher HRV just because they tend to have done a lot of endurance work. So it's kind of hard to compare, right? It's almost apples and pears. If someone's got one that's trending in sort of the 30s, 40s and 50s, and another person has it over 100, I'm not convinced that that means that the person over 100 has so much more capacity. I'm curious as to what you think. Yeah, yeah, it's partly genetic, know, isn't it? I it's, think it's interesting. Like or so. Yeah, and it can be, and and it's why I let's see. How do I want to say this? I I think it's. I love the tools that allow us to sort of biologically see what's going on inside. Um, I think they're so fun and and. They're amazing, in fact, to be able to show us that insight. The downside to that is exactly what you're talking about is that we can sort of, um, we can get caught in the numbers in a way that works against us. So for instance, um, if for whatever reason, your HRV is lower and it sort of maybe always has been, it's really difficult to tell whether that was an impact of um, perhaps what happened in early childhood, right? So all of our nervous system gets developed the moment we come out of the womb. And some people might even say before that, based on our, our, the nervous system of our mother, right? Our, our system gets developed and we didn't even get into things like neuroception and co-regulation today and things like there's a lot more to this, right? Um, but our system gets developed from the moment we come out of the womb. And so you cannot untangle the development of someone's nervous system based on their family history, trauma, you know, what is considered sometimes big T or little T, um, real or perceived trauma, right? Uh, and how that develops someone's system. So for instance, I have very, very early significant childhood trauma. And so sure, my HRV may show up some way on a device, but is that because that was I was genetically predisposed to that? Is that because of the infant childhood that I experienced, you know, under the age of one, right? Like, you can't, we can't make assumptions about that number and then say, oh, well, that means my capacity is only this, right? That's where it could get in our way is if we look at the number and then make an assumption about that and say, well, it's just who I am or how I am, right? I believe that we all have the ability to build capacity no matter what our 
baseline is by paying attention to these states and, and using some skills to, to shift and change it. So even if your baseline is higher or lower, you have the ability to build capacity and change it. And I would hate for people to, um, I guess what I'm saying is I would hate for people to, to assume that they are either regulated or dysregulated based on a number versus on their experience of what's happening in their lives, if that makes sense. And how you feel. I totally agree. Because I think this is yeah. where you can get really hung up on it. And this is where things right. like orthorexia develop, right? Where you become obsessed with eating healthy. Whereas exactly. in reality, I think that intuitive factor is so important. Yeah. Amazing. It has been fascinating talking to you. Where can people <laughs> so much. find so much and we could spend hours? Where can people find more about you, your work? I know that you're still helping women with uh, weight loss as well. I think you you have a program for that that they can find and a whole host of other things. Please share. I'm sure people want to connect with you, Eliza. Yeah, uh, super easy at Eliza Kingsford on kind of all the things and elizakingsford.com. Um, lots of ways to work together. I do run a program for people struggling with weight and body image, wanting to change their shape and size. And it's based on this nervous system work. And then we build up from there. Um, pretty much all the work I do now is based on this nervous system work. Um, so yeah, elizakingsford.com or at Eliza Kingsford on all the, on all the things. Amazing. We will link to all of it in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for coming back. It's been really, really, I've loved our conversation. Thank you. So great. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, visit femalebiohacker.com and be part of a special community of women looking to optimize their mind, body, and spirit. If you're tired of sifting through countless websites and books to find the answers to your questions about nutrition, fitness, hormones, mindset, spirituality, and biohacking, the search is over. I've done the research for you and every week we go live with in-depth masterclasses, Q&A calls and monthly challenges to help you transform your life. And when you join the collective, you'll have access to a wealth of information, including deep dive masterclasses and biohacking toolkits on our members' favorites like metabolic flexibility, gut health, stress and resiliency and stepping into your most empowered self. Get access and be coached by me and my team and level up your health, career and life all for less than a dollar a day. Go to femalebiohacker.com or click the link below to get started and I'll see you on the inside.